homie. What is up, my dudes? What up, bro Chacho? Bro Seppi? Rob's out right now, and I'm fixing coffee. Give me one sec. I talk. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. How are you? Brewin here. Yeah. I'm doing good. How about you? Doing well. I'm a little tired today. But all in all, I mean, th- things are actually really good. Mm-hmm. Guys back in the uh, Central Standard Time mode of living? I think so, although I have been very tired the last, like, three days. So I don't know if that's being back in class, the fact that it's been gray and dreary. Yeah. Many things could contribute to it. I don't know. You sound chipper, though. Are you feeling good? I feel good. Well, last time you heard me, I was dying of the flu. So that's just the way I associated with you from there on out. Yeah, and I'm sure because we haven't put out an episode in a little bit, maybe people thought I really did die. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Let, let it be known that I did not. Uh huh. You're alive right now. I'm alive as of right ta- now. Yeah, not we're when we're talking to you. Who knows? Once this episode's finally released, because I usually schedule them in advance. So. Even if it does re- get released, you never know if something terrible happened. Memento Mori, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be like you putting out an ep posthumously. That's something I've noticed, a little cultural difference uh, <clears throat> in the Spanish-speaking community, where I'll be like, see you tomorrow, and someone will say, si Dios permite. Like, yeah, if God permits. Yeah. And I... I don't know, maybe it's my morbidity that I go to. My first thought is, why, you think you're going to die? <laughs> it's probably more like, just in case that you know something else comes up and we don't get a chance to see each other. But <laughs> I always kind of take that as a, a memento mori. I think, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. What if something, what if the world were to end? What if Jesus came back? Yeah. I guess yeah. we wouldn't see each other. What if my car broke down? I'd probably yeah. just get pulled out of my shoes and go straight up into the rapture. <laughs> that's it dude maybe that's why they say it it's supposed to trigger that yeah trigger the Ooh. rapture no trigger your thoughts about the rapture <laughs> which leads to thoughts about food that will last for 10 years which triggers thoughts about bunkers right this and life is nothing but dust and ashes that's why we need to build bunkers in northern chicago parts of wisconsin wait wait. now hold on because of the rapture we need to store up food i would have thought if the rapture's coming then just get perishables what's the point of getting green bananas good point if tomorrow might be the end Mm -hmm. you're saying if you don't get raptured if you're one of the unlucky people that get stuck down here because you're a horrible sinner and you haven't been justified by faith through grace yeah, maybe. That bunker's going to come in handy then. Yeah. Oh, that'll uh-huh. be. Well, come imagine your neighbors. I mean, if they all didn't get raptured, I mean, you're just going to be stuck down here with the bad people. <laughs> I guess I, I hadn't really thought about you it. Better that deadbolt detail, that. But if we're going to go there. Deadbolt the uh, bunker for shizzle. Mul- multiple deadbolts. If you're mm-hmm. left behind. Dude, can I just say, and I've, me and Mike talked about this the other day, and I'm okay with it being on the podcast, is I don't like, I'm not prepping 
for the end of the world, the end times. I don't have a bunker. Uh, but it's like an act of the will not to. Yeah. So really? like people, when people start talking that stuff, I just get it, dude. Like, I, <laughs> there's something yeah, in you. I don't know how else to say it, but I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is it is it like a a fear that that could become? A, it's easy for you to imagine that that would happen, or is it kind of a boy that would be really an interesting test of my metal like what if there were a zombie apocalypse how would i react and sort of entertaining that fantasy is interesting to you i think it's more the latter okay like could i do it right uh i get that look and yeah. i'm gonna shed mm-hmm. some when when rob's done answering why he thinks he thinks about this i'm gonna shed some light on why i think rob thinks about <laughs> oh yeah yeah please i have no more thoughts on it because he it's wants because... to test how good he is with a bow staff Mm. Well, okay, well, now I'm interested. <laughs> okay. Okay. What if all of our listeners become preppers? I doubt it. Yeah. Like, they're on to something right here. <laughs> For real, it makes sense. Yeah. And then we mm-hmm. start selling like Three Dogs North um, satellite radios so that we can transmit See? the podcast. Mike? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, how this gets me pumped. <laughs> <laughs> like, Three Dogs North shovels. We're getting Three Dogs pumped. North deadbolts three dog north fanny packs obviously we're still going to keep well three dogs north chain wallets those should exist whether or not the world ends (laughs) (laughs) shoot dude that is well which is well there's a a couple of thoughts okay one i'm surprised you didn't like the movie mad max Hmm. it's survival i didn't didn't even see it it. you're talking about the remake or the original i haven't seen either the remake okay the remake if you didn't see it in big if i didn't see it in the big screen initially i it's just entertaining. That's all it is. Hmm. Um, this is why I think I think this is why it scratches and it's that you have hit me is we discovered well two things two very <clears throat> in revelatory things and I think they're cool about Rob over the pilgrimage mm-hmm. is Rob always thinks the best for people. That's his default position with people. Like but benefit of the doubt. What? You like he gives people benefit of the doubt. Gives people benefit of the doubt. Mm. Like that guy's shooting a gun at me, but maybe he's just having a really bad day. Yeah, maybe he's aiming See, at that, something behind me. That and does make a bad shot. I would go to that. <laughs> right. I would say that about that. Guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we also realize on the flip side that so people he gives the benefit of the doubt situations he always expects the worst. The worst. The worst. Mm-hmm. So he, and mm-hmm. on top of that is Rob's a planner. I am a planner. planner. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think if you combine especially those two things, you expect the worst and you love planning, you're mm-hmm. good at it. Thank you. Then I think it, the prepping thing makes sense to you. It, that, it does. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even if it's a, it's like the That's dumb and the dumber thing. thing. Like, what, what, am, what yeah. of our chances? Like, one in a million. So you're saying there's yeah. a chance. Yeah. <laughs> this could For pay real, off though. if we prep yeah. and then. It's just like Joseph in Egypt, man. Even if he had been like had some doubt whether that dream interpretation was right, like what did he have to lose by storing up grain for seven years? Ugh, you know? And then look, it paid off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's exactly what this is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exact. Joseph was a prepper, dude. The first and prepper. I, yeah. Yep, he was the first prepper. That's very true. See, prepping is biblical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is there something rather than nothing? 
USA, baby. We're back. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in business. Mike, back is this flavored now. coffee? Yeah, this is French vanilla. What? Yes. Where'd you get this, dude? From Dunkin' Donuts. Shut up. Did you get this for the Annunciation? Dude, I knew that you were going to like this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You got it for the Annunciation? Um, actually, this was not for the Annunciation, but I did drink it for the Annunciation. Uh, yeah. I had purchased mm-hmm. it beforehand. Yeah, maybe I guess it was. I'm not a fan of the flavored coffee, to be honest with you. Typically not, but vanilla gets me. Huh. The French vanilla, it's pretty tasty. Yeah. I can't, I couldn't do it every day, but it is like a dessert coffee for me. We, yeah, I, I need a little, a little extra something this afternoon. Because, hmm. man, this morning, it was... So one of my Linton penances this year, to just air that on the podcast... Yeah, to, to lose to, all your merit... Yeah, lose all my merit is um, it, what's particularly hard for me normally is as soon as my alarm goes off, oh. no snooze, oh. hit no. it and getting no. right out of bed. You don't do that. Do you? Oh, oh, and today Gosh. I've so failed at it. It was an awful day waking up and it was, guys, I was having a really fun dream. We were cliff diving. I was mm. cliff diving with the Wichita guys, <laughs> but... It was at the same place where the Inquisition took place, and people were attacking us, so it was like jumping for our lives. Oh, more than cliff diving. diving by necessity. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but when I woke up, it felt like I was like in the deepest sleep ever. Oh, I hate that. I had that. to drag myself out of it. And I just, I've been groggy all day today. Even though this conversation is kind of bringing me to life here. Oh, that's great. good. You know what you might think about <clears throat> now that you've gone to the dark side and have a smartphone? I did this for a while, but um, for various reasons, stopped doing it. Uh, the app, you can get an app on your phone where you put your phone plugged in underneath your fitted sheet. Now, you sleep in a loft, so it might be tough. But if you have a long enough cord, it measures through the gyroscope or whatever's in there, the motion detector, how deep of sleep you're in hmm. and uh, by how much you're <laughs> stirring. This is, this is very, this is so millennial, dude. No, it's just no like a I fit, laugh. It's a Fitbit for your sleep. I uh, laugh because I had heard of that app. Mm-hmm. Carlos, uh, a classmate, uses it. Mm-hmm. And I put it on my iPad. Oh, and, it does that too, yeah. And did it like a while back. But <laughs> I didn't realize that you're supposed to put it under the sheet. So I would just wake up and my iPad would be like on the ground or like across <laughs> the bed. Like. <laughs> I, I would clearly destroy it in the middle of sleep. So well, that's you can good... put it. You can put it like anywhere on the bed. It's supposed to be super sensitive. But the any any the the idea is that you. But tell it's supposed it, to be under the sheet, right? So that it doesn't move very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Key. And then it wakes you up like some within some fifteen minute window, in an ideal like as you're coming out of deep sleep rather than, like you were probably on a downwards, like, slope to deep. Yes cliff diving REM sleep REM sleep yeah and oh, gosh that is the worst oh gosh <clears throat> yeah anywho so that penance has not been going well or just today it wasn't going well no it, it has been actually going well i i really don't want to divulge too much about it but it's been going it's tough it's really hard mm-hmm. but it just one it gets me started well on the day and two it's very challenging every single morning like it doesn't get easier yeah. So, and I, today was a loss. 
I don't know what to do about the whole sleep thing because my situation right now, so I told you guys, I don't know if this was happening, it had happened yet while we talked last time, but my pastor took off for his army deployment, so I'm by myself now. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Ken. Pastor Ken, pray for him. Love you. Yep, will do. Pray for him. He is, uh, yeah, going into the thick of it. So, anyways, <clears throat> I've got all the daily masses every day, which I mean is not a huge deal, but it just means I'm every morning I have something, no sleeping in. But also every evening, basically, I have something. And a lot of times during the day, I'm doing office work. So, it's a little bit of uh, like an let's say an eight to nine kind of job lately. Uh, and I haven't really had a day off in a few weeks um, because of my own fault scheduling wise. I didn't, uh, I need to switch my day off and I didn't do that. Now I'm kind of planning a month ahead not to plan things on a certain day, you know, so that I have at least one day a week where I can chillax, go see friends or family or whatever. But in any case, my thing has always, maybe we've already talked about this, but my thing has always been, if I am working on, um, well, as an aside, it's actually been good for my prayer life because I know, this has always been the case with me. I'm more mindful of things like that when I'm busy than when I'm not. Like on breaks, my prayer life would go to the toilet because I would just be like, oh, I can do that anytime today. And then the end of the day comes and you're like, I'm already super tired. It's one in the morning. And I'm still watching a show. <laughs> so <laughs> when I'm when I'm busy like this, I just I literally have just started putting a, a holy hour into my calendar in between things so that right. it's just like showing up to an appointment. I wouldn't be late to an appointment. I'm not going to be late to the holy hour. So that's actually helped me. But nevertheless, I get to the end of the day and it's like nine, nine thirty, sometimes ten o'clock. I'm like, I haven't done anything just sort of free of purpose, you know, or utilitarian purpose. I need to like read a book or watch a show or play an instrument or like blast some music and just punch dance in my room by myself or some, something to just like let off steam. But I know I should also be getting ready for bed because I have a long day tomorrow. Do you know this? I, I feel like we've already talked about this, but this has always been my thing. But even when I was fighting forest fires, um, we would be like on an assignment and out all day walking around, hiking, cutting trees down, digging holes and digging line and working, 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 come back, eat something together. And then it's just stand around the fire and people start one by one going back to their tents and sleeping because it was a long day and we're going to have a long day tomorrow. But I just could not bring myself to go to sleep because I'm like, but I haven't had any fun today. You know, even though the job was kind of fun, but I haven't like just messed around and talked about things that don't matter. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the festivity or the, the Sabbath rest of, it just drives me nuts to go through a day without any frivolity. Yeah. That's a Mondo, like just luxury that we have at the seminary because you can walk down the cam and find somebody to waste exactly. 15 minutes yeah. with. Right. Yeah. And so, but I do, I still know what you mean from, I mean, certain days here, like might not be available or just life in general. Um, that but it ends up screwing me up because I, I do waste some waste time somehow, whether in a good way, like I've been reading Jaber Crow. So I read a bunch of that Ooh. last night. 
Did you, are you liking it? Liking it a lot, yeah. Yep. So that's yeah. that's a perfect example of just like a story that has no point, no application. I'm not going to use this for any homilies. This isn't like yep. even spiritual reading. It's just a story for the fun of it. And yep. it's a charming author and style and everything like that. But then I'm up to like 11 o'clock and I got to get up at six. And that's not just not enough sleep for me because it's going to take me like 15 minutes to fall asleep. And it's less than whatever, six, seven hours. Sometimes I'm up until midnight reading or watching TV. Anyways, this is all just a, a, way, a long way of saying I totally get that morning thing because it's every I feel like it's every day. I'm just like already uh, and just hitting snooze like two, three, four times makes it slightly less painful. Um, yeah. Than Even though getting at the up end right of the away. Day, yeah. I mean, at the end of well, at the end of the beginning of the day, like you're going to have to wake up eventually. And that was. That's the thing that is nice about getting up on the on the first alarm is you're going to have it's going to be awful whenever you get up and hitting that snooze is just delaying the inevitable but it doesn't make it any easier. What I can't get over is like okay so I hit snooze 4 times every time it goes 9 minutes. That's what 36 minutes. So yeah. why didn't I just set my alarm 36 minutes later and I wouldn't have had this fitful wake up every 9 minutes sleep to hit a button. There's nothing down that road, dude. I know. I've tried to justify that. <laughs> I've tried to justify that so many different ways, but I'm setting mine for 20 minutes before I need to get up tomorrow. Yeah. So, it's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why that is, but it is more comforting to know, like, okay, I got I can, a little wiggle room here. Yeah. It's like it's similar to at least in me. I'm like, uh, I usually shoot like, I don't know, 105, 110 for golf, which is not very good. But kind of typically that's where the range I'm going to be in. And so I don't have very many good shots in there. But once in a while, I'll get into one. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And that keeps me on the golf course for like probably the rest of the year. I don't know. So it's similar. Like I've had very specific memories of like hitting the snooze button. And that nine minutes like did actually make a huge difference. Mm. It's just what the doctor ordered. And it's only like happened probably like once or twice ever but every time you hit it dude it's like the lotto it's like playing the lotto. <laughs> it's like it's just like an addict dude, going for that first high yeah man this like <laughs> this could be it like this this one could be the one just like that one time just like well that. i i gotta say that for me it's almost every time i just love the feeling of falling back asleep mm. even if it's like i know that this is going to cost me because i'm going to have to rush through morning coffee and breviary and stuff like that just the feeling of falling back asleep. Yeah, and, and maybe, like, because at, at certain points in my life, I have certainly gone through this conversation by weighing, like, the value of goods in the morning. And mm-hmm. for me, something that's very weighty to getting up is my love for coffee. Yep. Mm. Like, that is a serious good that I treasure and want to keep. And so coffee, office of readings, like morning prayer, I love doing that. Yeah. And that's a serious motivation, just doing the, like, what, this or that comparison. I love falling asleep, but, man, I love drinking coffee and praying in the morning. Love it. We got in a stretch in the Holy Land when we were getting up early, and it rocked. It rocked. It was so good. We'd go down and, like, do a holy hour. 
before like the day really started. Oh my gosh, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you're, you're saying because I, I've had the same thing, especially when I change time zones for an extended mm. period of time. Sometimes somehow it's like a reboot on the computer, and you just you don't have all the crap running in the background anymore. Like when I mm. when I moved to California for the summer to do that job, I don't know if it was like the nature of the work I was doing or or whatever the Forest Service job, but like all summer. I woke up really refreshed and I, I, every time, almost every morning, I felt like it was 10 o'clock in the morning, like I had just slept in and it was actually 7.30 and I had plenty of time to get ready for work before nine. And uh, same thing in the Holy Land. Me and Scott were getting up at like three in the morning to go to the Holy Sepulcher. Every day we were in Jerusalem. And Okay, we weren't getting up that early. <laughs> yeah, let's we were talk. I would go to bed at like 8.30, 9 o'clock. I was just on a totally, but I think again, it was a, the first night I was over there, you're, I'd never really been overseas where you're changing time zones that much. I'd just basically gone north and south in the Western Hemisphere. But going over the Atlantic was so different because your your body clock is like, what is happening? It's awful. Um, so I, I think I couldn't fall asleep or I was just a zombie, one or the other. But I ended up like wide awake at three, two, three in the morning. And I just went downstairs to their chapel or whatever and sat there and had actually a good holy hour to kind of give thanks to God for being over there. It was in Nazareth. Nazareth. Um, but there's something about that. I kind of I enjoyed being awake at that hour because it's so quiet, so still. But for some reason for me, it's just easier to stay up than it is to go to bed and get up to enjoy that. You know what I mean? Like the yep. morning, the morning I know is qualitatively better. Uh, but I was actually thinking about that with the, read, the gospel reading last week, because Jesus says something like, when it is day, I have to do the Father's work, but at night no one can work. Yeah. Is, it, is that where he says it? Is it not light for 12 hours? Something, something like, like that, yeah. John's readings, all the readings, they're so... They're so bizarre. John's mm-hmm. like John John's gospel. We're yeah. studying it right now, but yeah, it's a confusing gospel. Well, he just goes on and on about the son and the father and <laughs> yada yada like this morning's gospel. Yeah. And the one yeah. who sent and, and the one who will reveal him and like I think I, if I were in that last supper discourse after Jesus got done talking, I'd be like I think I got it. Jesus, but <laughs> do you think it could go over again just slower? <laughs> Speaking to the microphone, Jesus. We're recording. Tell me more about this advocate that you'll be sending. Yeah. Where's this Holy Spirit? Uh, so are you guys taking classes now? Are you back in, back in the saddle? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have a bad schedule at all, though. We have our afternoons off, which is incredible yeah well, every uh, afternoon yeah oh my gosh i think so right yeah yeah i mean unless we have meetings and things like that so we have two classes uh every morning but they haven't they haven't been bad at all i actually enjoyed the history class that we're taking but um yeah you know i and this is kind of going back to what we were just talking about not the schedule but i always wonder what our conversations about tiredness and like waking up and going to sleep and like what that sounds like to a lay person. 
where you know they have tons of kids and um like any bit of rest and silence and uh peace that they have to themselves is a huge treasure and and even my brother who is married and has no children right now was like it's so different just even being married where one thing about being a celibate is um especially in seminary is like my job right now is to be concerned about being formed into a priest and a human being, which is selfish in some ways, but in other ways it's not. But oftentimes I'm like, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, but like I am the center of my day. I plan my day around myself and my own schedule. Like I don't have to consider many people's schedules. Mine is, is given to me. Um, yeah, just what a challenge that is getting to sleep, going to bed, like being able to dictate when you go to sleep uh, instead of your kids dictating when you go to sleep. My goodness. Yeah, I can just remember my mom being super tired every morning because she was up super late with me, and uh, but she's got to be up really early with the kids. And yeah, I don't know, just a thought. I think everybody's got their different challenges. I mean, I know my brother's got five and we've had conversations just like this about staying up late and getting up, getting up early and stuff. But I I think in general, um, this is something I've been thinking about with people who have a call to marriage and family life. Uh, normally, well, this is an interesting question. You know, when it comes to like, what is an appropriate amount of personal prayer a day for a layman or laywoman who has small children, you know, question. Um, you know, because you don't, I think St. Francis de Sales talks about this, like neglecting your, your duties to God that you have in the sort of concrete quotidian changing diapers, making meals kind of work to neglect that for the sake of contemplative prayer. While contemplative prayer is good, um, you know, you can't neglect your duties in order just to have it, you know, like every state of life has a different you know what I'm trying to say. Has yeah, a and I will. Schedule. And I will say as a caveat, the the schedule that you just described for yourself as being there by yourself, that's a crazy busy schedule. And so, like I, I think in at this point in my life, I'm just very privileged to have the schedule that I have right now, and that's just the reality. Um, but I, a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that schedule that that freedom including yourself or like even when we were on internship that was not my schedule and it was it was hard Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean obviously i have time to sit down for an hour with you guys and talk on skype but you know i had to schedule this in so it's not like i'm going 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 and in some ways it's it's kind of interesting work you know it's something different every other hour you know even if it's meetings uh, you're talking about different stuff. So it's not like turning a screw, the same screw for eight hours in a row. That would be kind of mind numbing or sitting at an office desk. You know, I do get to get up like this morning. I went, had morning mass, came back, um, had a house blessing, sort of did office miscellanea. Uh, I think I had somebody cancel. Then I'm talking to you guys, went to the grocery then tonight I have um, RCIA. Well, I have confirmation interviews with the <laughs> the teenagers. Oh man, 
talking to the teenagers. So now I'm the, you know, ostensibly I'm the pastor, the administrator. So did you guys have to do this when you were confirmed to meet with the pastor before you got confirmed? Yeah. Yep. We had to we, do it. Probably. I don't know if it's a Chicago thing or it's more general. But anyways, they come in and it's like five minutes. I just ask them a few questions. And I know a lot of them from either our school or youth group. Pretty much every kid that's come in, I've already known at least their name. Cool. But one-on-one, you you get to talk. And I, I've already had a sense like this person is very shy or kind of awkward, doesn't like to talk to adults or make eye contact. So you kind of get to push them a little bit and find out what makes them tick. And this one kid, I asked him, oh, so how's your Lent going? And he's like, oh, pretty good. I was like, oh, yeah, what, what are you doing for Lent? And he's like, I, yeah, I gave a pop. And I was like, oh, nice. Is that, that been going well? Is that hard for you? He's like, no, it's not that hard. I mean, I stopped drinking pop like maybe six months ago or something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly speechless. I'd, I had no idea what to say. Uh, but I'm like, good work. <laughs> <laughs> in your mind, you the, the, to me, it was like the definition of box checking Christianity. Like, oh, so I'm, God apparently wants me to give something up that's, you know, sweet or good or somehow satisfying. Well, oh, good thing. I already, I already did that. I already gave up pop a while ago, so I can just kind of count that as my sacrifice. <laughs> like, I, I hate to break this to you, man. I don't think you get the point of it. <laughs> so, yeah, you get little things like that. You're, you're talking to people all day. So, um, but it also is, it, I'm more and more I'm feeling like a parent in the sense of like, uh, your schedule is dictated by the needs of others. Um, you know, and you can, you can neglect your duties just like a parent can neglect their duties. Um, but there's less consequence maybe for priests because people just stop coming to you because they know you won't respond and to their needs or make time for them. Whereas if you neglect your children, you can get arrested. Um, but in any case, like if you really want to be a good priest, which I do, it can be very, uh, very human. And just as, you know, it's maybe it's not cleaning up puke and poopy diapers, but it's, it's as messy sometimes, uh, on a metaphorical level. Well, yeah, we had a classmate over in the Holy Land and he said there's basically five things that he's always that are always present to him. He's always going to be tired. He's always going to what is it? He's always going to be hungry, tired, like I don't know, something some five things that are just always there. Do you remember Isaac talking about that? No. Mm-mm. You remember that? Well, essentially, yeah, I, I guess it's just a part of life. But, and this is one thing that the Holy Land helped me to realize is, um, and maybe this is like too big a broad of a jump, um, like that whole line from JP2, we weren't made to be comfortable, we're made for greatness, which I, I know is a line that, a lot of people use. I guess that's just making more and more sense to me. And you know, I look at my parents, and I, I'm certain at some point in my dad's life, he just, just he just realized like I'm always going to be tired. I'm always going to have some kids who are climbing on me and dictating my life. Um, and that's okay. Like being tired, 
does not negate happiness. I, I guess is kind of the kind of the realization that I'm having. Tired being just one thing among many uncomfortable things that life gives you. Like, yeah, it's just a part of life, and it doesn't mean that you can't live. Relax. You still there, Bistron? Hello. Hey, can you hear us? I can hear you. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah, we got you back. We couldn't there for a second. Oh. Uh, did you hear what I was saying about prayer? No. So the uh, <clears throat> the question of like how much a layman or a laywoman should pray, depending on their state in life, I think for us. Um, well, how long have you been talking about that? I don't know, like maybe thirty seconds. Mm-mm. What? Anyway, continue. No, this was this is harkening uh, back to something we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way back. Um, I think that for us, like just speaking it from the perspective of scheduling and work life, like if I don't pray, that is when the minutia of what I have to do every day, because now I add it on top of like signing checks and making sure bills are paid and whatnot. Um, you know, stuff for the school. I'm interviewing candidates for a new principal because our principal is retiring. And there's like just like things that have a lot of pressure on me to make sure that they happen because they affect a lot of people's lives. And then on top of that, I'm, you know, doing liturgies. I did a funeral yesterday and mass every day and weekend homilies and weddings and wedding prep and all this other stuff that you have going on. Um, you can, I've heard this temptation. They warned us about it in seminary that your work, that the priests that'll say, Oh, my work is my prayer, you know, because your work is to pray with and for people. But, if you don't sit there for an hour and if, if I, I should say, if I don't sit there for an hour in front of the tabernacle, I get cashed. I, it's just too much. Like, like Sunday morning. I mean, I don't want to reveal whatever or make it sound like I'm up on a cross or anything like that. But after three masses on a Sunday morning, you get to a point, I've even felt this in the confessional where you hear the door open one more time. You get to a point where it's like, oh gosh, no. Another person that needs God and I'm the one, I'm on the hook to give them to him, you know? Uh, it's just overwhelming. And if you don't, I mean, it's kind of almost a tired metaphor if you don't drink from the, the fountain, you'll have nothing to give. Like you don't, you can't give what you don't have. But I, I, I don't think that that's a cliche because I've experienced it. If you don't like soak in love from the source of love, you will resent everyone who, dem everyone who needs it from yeah. you, you know, <laughs> and there is no shortage of, of that. I mean, thanks be to God. I could also imagine being in a place where nobody came to church. Nobody thought that the priest was important or, or had anything that they wanted. So you would just kind of sat alone in your office waiting for somebody to come by. Um, so there's different strokes for different folks. But uh, I know in my present situation, and I guess I say this because sometimes I've heard people say, oh, you're going on retreat. Must be nice. I wish I could go on a, you know, eight day retreat in silence and reflect and pray and whatever. It's like. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of 
why I exist is to give you God. You know, I, I pray because you can't. Um, and that's just the way the body is organized. Uh, and we can sort of, sort of say like the grass is greener on the other side or, or compare each other, compare our burdens to one another's and be like, I have it. My, my thing is not so much like you have it better than me and I'm jealous. My thing, my self-consciousness is always, I have it easier than other people. And that makes me feel bad. Um, but I guess what I'm coming to now is everybody's got their own cross to bear and it makes no sense to compare it to anyone else's and say yours is more valid than mine or, or mine is more valid than yours. Does that make sense? Yes. Very like that is just, I guess that's just held so true in my own spiritual life is that there's nothing, there's like no fruit to be born with doing that. Right. Um, you mean comparing? Comparing. Yeah. Like just none. Um, no matter how good or rough of a day or stretch like you're having, um, yeah, I've just never known it to bear to bear good fruit in in me. Where you're saying just before that though, that's definitely been on my mind even for the like this summer. Uh oh, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, got you. You cut out there a second, but uh, either for, even for this summer, I've been thinking about like being a deacon and preaching, and just yeah, how I want to use my free time has been definitely on my mind really since we've gotten back. And I think it's a lot of stuff you've said over the years and different people of my gosh, like as far as spiritual life and I don't know, discussion, edification, whatever you want to call it for a lot of people, like the Sunday mass homily, maybe all they get during the week, you know? And, and so I've had this big thing. I just finished, uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Oh, nice. Dude. My favorite book so ever. Cool. It's your favorite book ever? I think so. I, I mean, it's definitely up there. It was incredible. So I started it right after we podcasted the last time. I just finished it a couple days ago. Impressive. And, uh, yeah, well, we had all these bus rides um, for like our last couple weeks in the Holy Land. So I got it on audiobook. And I would just like jam on it, um, wow. and then the like the plane fight and everything like that. So I got through it pretty, pretty, pretty quick. But I loved it. Mm -hmm. and so there's lots of stuff we could talk about from the book. But one of my big like takeaways was just thinking about it, and I guess like the desire that arose of like I just I want to be a good storyteller. If nothing else, that's something that like I do think I can continue to cultivate like throughout my whole life for homilies or whatever, and to be a good storyteller, um, and like reading books like that. Oh gosh, I don't even know how Steinbeck did it to to begin to describe how complex and just in tune with human nature that story. Oh, I know, was. dude. For that book. I think about that when I read any not like Jaber Crow is a good example, kind of like East of Eden, where I mean, it follows one character pretty much. The thing about East of Eden is that you're tracking multiple characters across multiple generations. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, but I was reading and not to get you off track or did you have more to say on that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I'm reading a book. A friend of mine who's a writer um, recommended Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Have we talked about that? The whole bird by bird thing? 
No. Okay. I don't know what that is. <clears throat> it was, I used it in a homily. I, I was thinking about it for a while. About um, <laughs> So the title comes from, it's called Instructions, Some Instructions on Writing and Life. So she's a writer, uh, has written some novels and things like that. And it's just kind of her reflections and, and kind of advice on writing and things like that, like work, the work of a writer, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, like one of my favorite books was uh, Graham Greene's The End of the Affair. And in that book, he's a writer. Uh, and sort of like the tortured soul of the, this guy who just gets up every day and writes a thousand words or something like that. And a lot of them he thinks are trash and just throws away or what like that. The idea of that being a profession kind of fascinates me. Um, people writing stories. Yeah. So anyway, she, she's kind of like that kind of personality wise. Um, uh, sort of like Walker Percy and, where she talks about the uh, the radio station that plays in her head while she's while she's writing, that alternatively tells her like she's the most special, awesome, insightful person in the world, and then in the other uh, other speaker, it's telling her that she's like just this awful person, incapable of selfless love, and completely narcissistic, and has never done anything good with her life ever. She's like you have to shut that radio off in order to just like let your subconscious flow to write a good story because if you're if you're self-conscious at all, and I found this in homilies, like if you are trying to come off really well or mask some insecurity somehow, then you just you just bomb. But if you let, like through good planning and good preparation and reading and praying and being a person who, who believes what they're saying, um, you let the Holy Spirit speak through you, then that, that really does work. But the bird by bird thing, uh, it was just a, a story from when her little brother came home with like a stack of bird books and said he had a had a big report due in school the next day, which he had had three months to write, but hadn't started until today. And he had to write like about all these birds. Um, and he's about to cry. He's just like all these books spread off the, over the kitchen table and just a bunch of blank loose leaf paper. And he has no idea where to start. And it's like the paralysis of of analysis, you know, and his dad, her dad walks up to her brother and puts his arm around him. And he just goes, just go bird by bird, buddy, bird by bird. And it's like the, the whole like bite off one little bit and do that. And then the next little bit and do that. And that's kind of how I wrote my STL thesis was like one paragraph at a time. You know, you know what the next paragraph is supposed to say. So just write it. And then when the next one will present itself and then you write that one and then the next one, or sometimes it's like a sentence. You just mm. write this sentence and then it'll be done and then write the next one. Because when you sit down, you're like, I have to write a 75 page uh, thesis on St. Augustine's confessions. You're like, mm, I think I might just uh, clean my bathroom instead, um, <laughs> you know, or whatever, jam out on guitar in my room and waste time. But all these little instructions on writing and she's like talking about characters and you know how to imagine a character and like really just kind of put them in the front of your mind and just start writing like let it kind of come out of you because i always thought when i read something like east of eden it's a, a thousand pages or grapes of wrath a thousand pages that just like meanders in and out and all these different stories and you're like how did he know that this was going to happen you know 500 pages ago when he first started this kind of storyline or this character's you know, the wart on her neck. And then it ends up being like this big thing, like 500 pages later, like, how did he do that? How does he have that all in his head? Yeah. She kind of, for me, is 
pulling back the veil a little bit of how writers actually write for the most part, I guess, is they just let it out of them. It's like some story. It's the whole thing of the muse, you know, with Homer and the Odyssey. It's like there's something else. Someone else is telling the story through you. Mm. Um, and these characters for her, she's saying like a character presents themselves and you describe them and they do things. And sometimes you write something and you're like, no, they wouldn't do that, you know, but they take on sort of a, an existence of their own, even though they're figments of your creation. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And even go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I just remembered, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't even call myself like a huge fan, but I did like, I read all seven of the Harry Potter books mm-hmm. and, um, like one little thing I, I think I heard it was on the news or something like that. Who wrote those? JK Rowling. JK Rowling. And, uh, but, uh, man, Hermione and Ron, this is a spoiler. They end up together at the end and Ooh, her la, quote, la. yeah. Her quote was something to the effect of like, no, that was a mistake. And that's like a huge part of the end of those books. But and it was I can't remember what how like what context she was talking about it. But she, in a sense, was said that like it was some memory or something like from her past that she like really wanted them to end up together. It was like oh, it almost sounded like an emotional like need or something yeah. like that in it, and I don't know the detail. It might not even been her like this coming from, but I mean, she just said she was like, no, that was that was like a mistake in the those characters. That was a mistake for those characters, like not how I wrote it, but oh, they had, like they shouldn't have own. done that. Like they kind of yeah, like it. Well, it's not true to the characters. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like she and, forced uh, it on them when they they wouldn't have actually done that. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was just, I was thinking of it in that when you were just talking about like this thing is unfolding almost outside of the author. And yeah. it was like her saying this is where I inserted myself into it. Right. Um, that's that's Anne Lamott's point. Like you that's right. why you go over it again and you slash stuff out of a story. Like even though you think it's really well worded or you're proud mm. of it, you're like, no, this just doesn't fit, you know, and you. The first time through when as you're writing and even for nonfiction, even like my STL thesis, I found this to be true. Like I did the best when on the first go around, I just let myself write. You don't rewrite a sentence right after you wrote it. You write the sentence, you get the idea out, you just go. And then the critic you goes over it later, you know, but yeah. the, the trick is to not be both the author and the critic at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually interesting. Just, go ahead. Well, you spill it out on the page, right? And then, and then afterwards, you can come back and clean up. I actually have to take like at least one or two days normally where I'll write it, and then I'll have to come back and look at it with totally fresh eyes. Because even if I look at it like same afternoon, um, you know, sometimes I won't be able to see it objectively outside of like the stream of consciousness that poured into that. Right. But I also remember Twain. I don't know if you've ever read Puddinghead Wilson. No, I haven't. Puddinghead Wilson. He gives a whole commentary like on the author about the book after the book was is finished and it's I mean it's exactly to this point but it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard Twain write um, and I guess initially the book was supposed to be called Those Extraordinary Twins or something like that and the way that he talked about it was like by the time that like the way that I saw the story going when I got to the end of the book, I couldn't find my main character. 
I didn't know where she was. Like the heroine that the whole story was was about, he couldn't find her. <laughs> so he was like, okay, well, this is a totally different story than what I thought was actually going to happen. Uh. So then he had to split up. You know, he conjoined twins and like had to change the whole story because he li- he literally said, I couldn't find my main character. I didn't know where she was. So then the whole story changed and it was about something different because the characters came alive and he wrote characters who created the story, right. which is a totally different way than I thought stories were written. Well, this gets but to I, a point we were, were talking about long, long time ago about like Catholic books, you know, or just anything with a message that's really yeah. clear or even maybe why Tolkien didn't like allegory, why he didn't like Narnia. Was because it's the story has already been written, and you're just kind of like plugging in placeholder characters rather than putting real people, imagined though they may be, into a situation of tension, or you know, like there's some tragedy that happens, and then a bunch of different people react as real people would, you know, or at least as those kind of real people would, you know, but, or like a character isn't a, just an instance of a type. Like, okay, you need your jock, you need your uh, goth, you need your, you know, businessman, Wall Street stooge, you need your hippie. And they're just kind of like these abstract, they need to like have certain lines and certain histories and, yeah. and whatever. But interestingly, J.K. Rowling, I read this in another book called Deep Work about sort of like people who, uh, in order to get things done, like cut themselves off from all communication and like, you know, like Carl Jung had a retreat cabin in the middle of nowhere where nobody could find him. And, and that's when he would write all his all his books, you know, like, like his stuff on psychology. He would go into the city, meet with his patients and then take all of his stuff out into the woods like a month at a time and write books. And mm. all of these great um, thinkers and, and authors have done this in different ways. And J.K. Rowling, supposedly, she had a contract to finish, I think, the last Harry Potter. And she just was like she had become a celebrity and was on like Twitter and people were always trying to get interviews with her and blah, blah, blah. So in order to finish her book, she she kind of put pressure on herself by renting like a really opulent five star hotel room just for herself and said, I'm going to stay here until this book is finished. So it was costing her thousands of dollars a day. Oh, wow. To finish her book. And so she was just like, it was just an economic way of pressuring herself to get it, to stop getting up or going on Facebook and checking her Twitter feed or whatever. Like, I just need to do this right now and like live in this world of work. Um, Wow. But anyway, that that kind of thing really fascinates me. But the whole point of me bringing up the Anne Lamott writing thing is that it kind of has gotten me Jones into, and I don't know if this will ever happen, but it's gotten me Jones into like... I don't know, dedicate an hour in the morning to just trying that, like trying to think of a character. And I feel like I have enough experience now of different human beings over the years of my life and the nature of the stuff that I've been doing to like just see what happens if you try to write a story. Um, Three dogs nor children's book. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm going to Well, I I like the idea of like a short story like Flannery O'Connor or Andre Debut. Um, yeah, but who knows, you know, I mean, probably nothing would be story like in this sense, if you did it in this method of just like, think of a character or think of someone that they meet and then just see what happens, you know, you just put them in a setting, right. it, build yeah. the story around the person, not the actual plot. 
Right. But, I mean, Flannery O'Connor, she's another interesting example. Right. I think it was Cywick that would talk about, like, she would just get up, and in her head, she said, I'm going to write X number of words this day. Mm-hmm. And even if she didn't have anything pressing on her, she would just sit down and make herself write. Because that's, that's her working exercise for the day. And, and she would write and rewrite and rewrite stuff. Wouldn't most days? I think it was. I think it was Flannery that would get up and she would write until like a certain time. Yeah. And then almost every day she would throw it away. Yeah. She would just literally throw it straight in the garbage. Yep, tear it out. Throw and it then away. once every I don't know how often, yeah. but like this arbitrary amount of time, like something would come along. Yeah. She'd be like, okay, this is it. This yeah. is what I'm gonna. This is my next thing. It's very very interesting. I, well, I guess the way that good story. <laughs> The, the way that good writers write is different than how I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me. In, in some ways, it makes it seem more accessible, um, like more possible for a normal person to do. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, like, it's actually creative in, like, the real sense of the word. Like, something is being created yeah. and not just, like, formed. Not I don't know. Manu- I don't have... Not manufactured from a Yeah, it's not a manufacturing of something. Even... And this could be a little bit of a stretch, but like, um, I go back and watch those old movies with Justin a lot, and um, gosh, he knows his stuff, which is it's been very cool to like just talk to him about movies and acting and all this stuff. Um, it's been very cool for me. But one of the big things he will say to like label a really good actor is or actress is their range so like if they've done a bunch of different types of roles and movies and like that kind of points to a really really good actor or actress yeah and i was just i thought of that when you were saying like yeah what if you were to get up just every morning and like write a story for an hour like don't not writing a talk not writing a whatever but just to write write a story and like Mm -hmm. see what comes with it like just think of the range of things, I guess, with the human experience that you have that could come out of that. It could be pretty cool. I don't know. Or it could suck, but it doesn't really matter because no one would see it. You know, <laughs> exactly. that's the that's the thing is like with all the other things I produce, I'm always constantly thinking about other people seeing or hearing or reading this. But if you knew like a journal, no one's ever going to read this. So I can say exactly what's on my mind right now or on my heart. Um, you kind of need that, I think. And writing a story and maybe, you know, who knows if it were good, then maybe you would share it. But to get back to what we're talking at the very beginning of like needing some time to just sort of do something useless, something that's not going to have like some utilitarian end in your life. Cause that's what makes us really human is the, is the doing the creating for creating sake, ars gracia artis, you know, um, Woody Guthrie supposedly wrote a song every morning. And they uh, just, you know, he would save the words, but obviously only he knew what it sounded like. And this uh, Wilco and Billy Bragg put together these Mermaid Avenue albums, I think in the 2000s, where they just took all these songs that were kind of in the archives and wrote music to them. But could you imagine writing a song every morning? And some of them are really good songs, like songs he never released that were just from his like morning. Then he would go down and eat breakfast. Yeah, but it it takes discipline to create. That's what I think. That's the the uh, what do you call it? The fallacy or the false belief about artists is that they're just like touched by God and you know make these things 
like out of to everybody's Mozart, you know, like they just know how to create coming out of the womb. But being an artist or a writer, it's an actual job yeah. to get like Flannery O'Connor to get up and for hours just write, even if she's going to throw it all away. Society needs her. Culture needs her to get up and do that work every day. Which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, which makes the waste not so wasteful. It's like that's that was an essential portion to her writing. Like maybe some of those songs that were never published by I don't even know who that dude is, but maybe they were really important for him to like get those out so that he could create other songs right. that were impactful or whatever. Hmm. Well, speaking of work, I gotta get back to it. Yeah, you know what? Real quick, I I just thought of that kid that you were talking about earlier that gave up pop for Lent. Right. Like, how cool would it be if he just did something like that that he would have never like associated with Lent, but something you like wanted to do, like five minutes a day, as opposed to giving up something he already had given up. Like, what could come out of that? Could be so cool. What do you mean? Anyway. So if he. So like that kid, like what if instead of giving up pop, which he'd actually given up six months ago, like <laughs> what if, you know, yeah, what if he would have taken like a picture a day or drawn, and, drawn something every day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like drawn. So like, I just don't think oftentimes people think about Lent in that context of yeah. like what it could be. And it doesn't have to be at all. Right. I'm not saying that, but like what a cool thing. We're all artists at heart. Dude, you know? man, yeah, this has been a very arty yeah podcast the artist is never poor they're super poor dude no haven't you seen babette's feast dude that's a quote come on <laughs> didn't catch that Are we ready? three dogs north are juice seabisk and michael metz Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.